Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Where To Go. I'm James Atkinson, Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where To Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. (laughs) And... This week, Lucy, we are heading to Florence. So oh, it's so lovely to be going back to Italy. It's been too long. Yes, yes. So uh, I, I think um, you know it hasn't been since our first episode when we talked to Tony. I think um, a long time ago. A long, long time ago. I mean, I, I don't know. Pandemic time feels like it's either a long, long time ago or <laughs> yeah, yesterday. Or no time at all. I can't yeah. really work out. I'll get my head around it. But I mean. Uh, heading back to Italy the sort of sights the sounds the food the drink yes architecture um, architecture and you know Florence is kind of a big combination of all of those things really I mean I yeah. I have to be honest I've never been it's, it's one of those places kind of culturally that's on on my list yeah um, I suppose it's probably one of those places that you think oh it's always there so I'll make it yes, at some point yeah, I, yeah. I have been I went for a day over ten, well over 10 years ago I was a student and I did I went stayed in Bologna and I went to Florence for a day and Verona for a day mm-hmm. and my sister also did art history so she loves Florence so I feel mm-hmm. actually I, I know Florence quite well or the art scene through her but my sort of memory of it is it's just one of those wonderful cities just to walk around mm. um obviously you've got I, I remember the queue for the Uffizi was ginormous we we're like well, we're not doing that we're not queuing for the Uffizi and we were students so we hadn't prepared ourselves in any way but just it's got the duomo and it's just got lots of you know gelato shops and it's just one of those beautiful cities to cross all the bridges and stroll around um and yeah obviously huge huge art scene so i'm really excited that we've got someone to tell us more detail because i don't remember loads about it <laughs> <laughs> that's the extent of what you remember just a so. very wonderful lovely, <laughs> it'll be a very short episode if it was city. you talking about yeah, exactly <laughs> and that's all from us folks <laughs> <laughs> yeah all done uh no no which uh so so who is the expert that we've got to talk about florence today We've got Mary Gray, an American writer and journalist based there. Ah, yes. So uh, Mississippi-born Mary is a writer, journalist and editorial consultant who's been based in Italy for eight years. And she very much enjoys sharing the best of her adoptive city and country and debunking the myth of the Dolce Vita. So welcome, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hi. Hello. Hello. Thank you both for having me. Oh. So happy to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you talking about Florence. So in this episode, we'll talk to Mary about how she ended up in Florence. And then we'll dig in a bit deeper into things to do when planning a trip. And then we'll finish off on our normal way, bringing it to the present day. So Mary, tell us, how did you end up living in Florence? Well, I really don't have a super original um, way that I (laughs) arrived here. Like very many um, 
Americans or really just English-speaking folks who end up in the city. I did a semester, um, a semester abroad here, an ex- a study mm-hmm. ex- exchange program okay. similar to Erasmus, but um, yeah. Yeah. obviously coming from the U.S. And um, but the interest really, or the seed for that, was planted um, in high school when I took an art history course with oh, yes. um, just a really incredible, really engaging teacher. And her favorite city was Florence, naturally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as an art historian. And so that really, um, I'd always kind of had one foot out of the door of my hometown, or always been ready to venture to other places. Yeah. Um, but I kind of fantasized about living in like Paris or London growing up, and then. Um, But then I sort of caught the Italy bug, I like to say, while taking this um, advanced placement um, or I don't need to say advanced placement, but this, this art, this art history course um, in high school, um, which really looking back on it, it was one of those sort of micro decisions that actually ends up to be something mm. that really changes the course of your life. Yeah. So I'm forever grateful. Shout out to Julie Maddox, my teacher. Um, I sort of planted that initial interest. Julie Maddox. <laughs> Hello, Julie. Hello, Julie. Like, well done on planting that seed. I think, uh, I, think it, I think it's safe to say it's kind of worked out too, right? Yeah. yeah, I would say it's gone well. It's gone well overall. Can't complain. <laughs> so when did you when did you kind of decide to make that move? Like, uh, I know you said you did the the placement. Did you did you go back to the states and then come back, or or did you just stay? Oh, I wish. I wish it were that simple. Um, So the very abbreviated version is, um, that'll probably still be long because it's me talking, Um, (laughs) but the abbreviated version is that I went back after doing that exchange program to finish my degree in the U.S., um, and then was sort of looking at what I wanted to do after graduation, you know, having the sense that I wanted to uh, travel again or have a similar sort of experience. And Mm. I applied for a bunch of different fellowships and things that just weren't working out in a bunch of different countries. Mm. And But deep down, I had this sense, though, that I really just wanted to go back to Italy and um, or I really felt pulled back there. Um, So I applied for some, again, big scholarships and programs and things that didn't really work out. And I ended up going uh, just on my own, actually, to um, to Rome for a year um, okay. with the intention mm-hmm. of um, or I started out as an au pair and um, studying Italian as sort of a means to stay in the country. Yeah. And but also because I wanted to learn Italian and um, and, you know, study. And, um, and then I ended up teaching English and doing a bunch of sort of odd jobs and things while I was there. And I really only ever intended to stay one year. But I was getting to the end of that year abroad and felt like I was just starting to find my footing and mm. starting to really get a grip of the language mm. and and everything. And I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to give it up so prematurely. So I did go back to the States again for a little bit. Um, and ironically, in the States, started an Italian master's program. <laughs> <laughs> Which then, in a very kind of um, zigzagging way, brought me back to Florence. And eventually I picked up some part-time work with the Florentine English language news mm-hmm. magazine mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of, and so that was part-time in the beginning while I was also studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually that turned into full-time work. And I was in that role for about um, five years. So I would say that and, and only recently went freelance or okay. recently. I mean mm-hmm. pre-COVID. Um but it feels recent because the past two years have kind of been a blur with the pandemic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yes. but let's say that the moment that I really made, I think that I kind of was like, okay, this is going to be a place where I am for a while yeah. was when the job at the Florentine became full time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that but that was about again, that was after about two years of kind of studying and juggling a bunch of different gigs and trying to figure it all out. So it wasn't like a thing that happened overnight. So So. it's not like a spontaneous, even though you kind of had that dream originally, it wasn't just a, right, I'm... I'm here. Um, this is this is my future. That there, there, there was it's kind of a really gradual thing, really. It was really gradual. Well, I like to tell people that um, I, or when I look back on it now, I can see that I was just kind of enjoying putting all these different puzzle pieces together and trying mm. to figure out um, how how I could make it 
work. But mm. I, but because when I originally came, I think, and I think a lot of people have this, and this is sort of, or a lot of people have this um, misconception, which is um, one reason that um, in my bio that you um, shared at the beginning, I say that I like to debunk the myth of the Dolce Vita. I think a lot of people have this idea that if they move to Italy or just even just moving abroad somewhere else in general, that they're going to kind of have the red carpet rolled out for them. And yeah. like, yeah. oh, I'm yeah. going to walk yeah. in and I'm going to get this like glamorous job right away. Yeah. And, or Emily um, in Paris style. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, shows like that don't help to kind of, um, you know, uh, temper the reality of the situation. So I like to tell people when people ask if, you know, if they should move to Italy or embark on an adventure like this, um, I like to say, you know, I think you should – um, never tone down your dreams, but certainly temper your expectations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. good advice. Very good yeah. advice. So you, you talked about like kind of bunk, bunking the, the myth a little bit, but I mean, mm-hmm. how much does Florence and kind of Tuscany as well, like kind of live up to that, um, uh, you know, that kind of beautiful stereotype in terms of like the scenery, the um, the sort of surroundings? Um, does it Does it live up to any of that romance? I think absolutely on that level, it lives up to the romance. You can't really deny the the beauty, um, you know, at every turn mm. uh, in in Florence and in uh, Tuscany as a whole. Um, and I'm a bit of a traitor for saying this, but I actually think that Rome is um, probably even more beautiful. But we can cut that out of the podcast <laughs> if it doesn't serve for the Florence for Florence oh, as a destination. All your, all but your I do think the Florentine. No, no. Furious. But um, but I think I don't know. Florence has a very specific kind of color palette, and um, and Tuscany. There's there's a certain kind of light that hits the Arno, and it's very. Mm. I mean, I still. I've been here for um, almost too long now, and but still, whenever I cross um, the bridge or cross the bridge closest to my house, um, or any of the bridges going across the Arno um, to get from my neighborhood, which is the Old Arno, um, into downtown, more kind of central Florence, um, I do still get. Uh, you know, still get the urge yes. to like take out, take a photo or yeah. just like linger there on the bridge for a little bit. Not always, not always, but at certain times of day, usually like early morning or around sunset. Yeah. I think, um, I think, I think that light is really interesting. Like, um, uh, so when, when we do the eyewitness guides to, um, uh, to Florence and Tuscany, um, I think I've seen two, two different editions come through, uh, and the jackets are always, always capture that light. Mm, they they always yeah. have that yes, like kind of, do. um, that glow—it's you know, got a real glow to it. It's like glow with like where the shadows kind of look really appe- appealing yeah. as well. It's, it's it's so cool. Um, and you talked a bit about your your kind of um where you live. So um uh, mm. what could you tell us a bit more about kind of the neighborhood that you live in? Whereabouts you live in Florence? Yeah, absolutely. So I live in well, broadly the Otrarno area, which mm-hmm. is which translates to the other side of the Arno. Okay. Um, and it's Florence's. Um, if you want to make a sort of cheesy, instant Parisian comparison, it's Florence's left bank. Okay. Um, and okay. um, so I'm on that side of the river, um, but still very much in um, central Florence. So, uh, you know, I think there's this misconception sometimes of the visitors that like, oh, the other side of the river, it's like far out. And no, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to a Florentine, they're like, oh, you're living in Pieno Cento di Firenze, meaning like the full on center of Florence. Um, although, you know, I'm not below the Duomo or anything like that, but, um, or, you know, right, like, that's not my view. But I'm in um, sort of the subcategory of the Ultrano that I'm in, because I would say you can broadly divide it into three um three sub-neighborhoods. I'm in San Frediano, mm-hmm. which uh, is historically a um, an artisan um, an artisan neighborhood and um, filled with kind of uh, craftspeople at work and mm. um, lots of interesting little um, studios and um, uh, and boutiques and and things. And Mary, can you tell us sort of what it's, I know this is a hard question, but what is it that you love most about living where you live or living in Florence? What's it? What is it that's kept you there than rather say Rome, where obviously you know you lived for a stint? Um, well, I'll say I absolutely I love 
Rome, and I love the gritty charm of Rome, and I love the big city feel being there. Um, and sometimes Florence, admittedly, can feel a little small and a little like, ugh, you know, I need to kind of get out of town and go see something else, even though it's beautiful, yeah. um, of course. But it can feel a little bit um, constricting at times. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's part of making a place your home, you know, is like, it's yeah. not going to be this perfect place that you see with through rose-colored glasses all the time. Um, and I think that what's kept me, though, in Florence is that even though um, Rome has this fantastic big city feel, uh, in Florence you do have some of the really uh, the markers of a of a cosmopolitan and international city and things to do and see um, and a lot of stimulation. Mm. Um, but it's easier to kind of meet up with people, to be spontaneous, mm-hmm. to, you know, you can you can call a friend and say, hey, I want to, you know, want to meet up in 20 or 30 minutes, and it's possible, you know. Yes. Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah, in a yep. place, you know, like London or in um, yes. even in Rome, um, you know, that's really not – it requires a lot more advanced planning. True, yeah. um, and so in Florence, there's a lot of room to kind of uh, be spontaneous. And I also feel like there's a lot of room to feel um, like you're contributing to the cultural fabric of the city in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer that you're here and you kind of carve out a space in the in the community, because I don't know, I think uh, Rome. I, I I can't remember where I read this. I think it might have been um, in one of our uh, essay or an essayist for the Florentine. Um, mm-hmm. Linda Falcone, I think she might have written this, that in Rome you get, or I'm paraphrasing, but in, in Rome it's the eternal city and it can kind of, you know, knock you down and humble you. And um, I think that that's good, that's healthy. But in mm-hmm. Florence you feel almost like aggrandized a little bit by, um, uh, by feeling like, oh, there were all of these remarkable humanists and artists here who have made their mark on the city through the years and I can be kind of part of it. Um, in a way, you know, even if you don't reach the level that they do, but that's a little bit. It's kind uh, of a kind of a lineage of people coming into Florence, making it their home and, um, and contributing to the kind of culture of the city and stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always drawn, um, people from, from all over. And that's something I think, you know, early on I was kind of drawn in by the obvious like trappings of the, um, Dolce Vita sort of lifestyle, which I run, I won't even get into speaking about how Dolce Vita is actually um, was never intended to be used as a phrase the way that it is today. But that's a <laughs> that's a digression. <laughs> is that an um, essay in itself? That's uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I was very early on uh, drawn in by art and good food and everything, and of course that mm. is part of what keeps me here. But I also think that through the years I've um, met a lot of people who are just like seeking something, you know, mm. I would say Florence attracts seekers. And, yeah. um, and I like that about the yeah. people that sur- I like finding that quality in the people that surround me. Uh, so now we're going to talk about a few of the best things to do in Florence. Uh, so what are some of the sort of first things, Mary, on that kind of hit list when when people are visiting Florence? What what should they what should they look out to do first? Well, I there are things that you can't skip in Florence, I feel. Um, mm-hmm. If you're only here for I mean, obviously, if you're only here for 24, 48 hours, it's difficult to pack things in. Mm. Um, but, and and I encourage, you know, leaving some time to kind of um, wander and meander. But the sort of essential obvious thing that I think everyone needs to see in Florence is Michelangelo's David yes. in um, the Academia. Yes. Um, and so, but I also think that if you're only here for, you know, a day trip, the Basilica of Santa Croce is a wonderful cultural site to stop at for, um, if you're, I mean, in general, but certainly it could be your kind of one and done um, cultural site if you're here for um, just 24 hours or mm-hmm. so, um, because it's known as the Temple of Italian Glories. It's the burial site um, of Machiavelli and um, uh, Michelangelo and Galileo. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, in addition to that, they, they're sort of competing with Ravenna for the claim of Dante's legacy. They've got an empty, because Dante, of course, father of the Italian language, was, um, uh, was Florentine. And, yeah. um, and they have an empty tomb at Santa Croce that's like awaiting his arrival 700 years later because the city ex- exiled him. Um, and so he's buried in Ravenna, but there's still this like ongoing battle for like which city can claim um, oh, his legacy, which is interesting. And there's also a lot of other um, interesting um, Italian writers, Ugo Foscolo, um, buried there. Um, but besides mm. it being a burial site, I mean, there's. Uh, Incredible frescoes by Giotto, pieces um, uh, by uh, Donatello. There's a wow. um, there's adjacent to it um, the Pazzi Chapel is a really um, a really fantastic space in mm-hmm. Florence. Um, so I think that that's kind of a good um, orientation mm-hmm. to um, just to go to the Basilica of uh, of Santa Croce um, and. Obviously, of course, there's the Uffizi Gallery filled with Renaissance masterpieces. Mm. Um, namely, I mean, Botticelli, uh, Botticelli's Birth of Venus and Primavera are kind of um, two of the big ticket pieces. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but there's so many more. I won't get into naming all of them right now also because <laughs> I'm not an art historian and there are many people who can talk about it more eloquently than I can. <laughs> um, but uh, those are kind of your... Your your big your big blockbuster spaces, let's sure. say. Yeah, sure. yeah, some big name drops there. That was there. Yeah. Um. How about then? Sort of. So those are the big hitters. How about mm-hmm. lesser known spots or secrets that you're willing to let people in on, to let mm. listeners in on? Absolutely. Well, I would say. Okay, this isn't. A, this is not quite a secret, but I would say a lesser known museum that um, is absolutely worth your while um, is the Bargello Museum um, okay. on Via del Proconsolo. And um, it has, it's actually interesting if you want to go there and compare um, Michelangelo's David, Michelangelo's depiction of David that you see at the Academia to um, Donatello's David, very different. Um, cool. And um, it has a magnificent sculpture collection. Um, but... You know, you don't come to Florence just to go to museums. Um, and I feel like right. if you come to Florence just to go to museums and galleries, you're kind of missing out on a lot of um, the life and uh, movement that you find, you know, mm-hmm. in the streets. And mm-hmm. um, so for me, one of my favorite places to go in Florence um, and that I think that um, any visitor – would get a kick out of seeing and experiencing and smelling is the um, <laughs> Sant'Ambrogio market. Um, so uh, there's the central market or the Mercato Centrale, which is more in the San Lorenzo area of town. Um, and it's a bit more, or I would say it's better known to the average visitor. Yeah. Um, but the Sant'Ambrogio market uh, is a bit more local and as much as I kind of hate to use this word authentic (laughs) or you know a lot of um, Florentines still shop there um, and there's vendors kind of hawking their produce and um, inside lots of great little lunch spots including one called Darocco that's absolutely worth going to and so it's kind of a full um, you see sort of the full um, Florentine community converging there and you know shoppers with their dogs and everything and they've got um, delicious things both for sale to kind of take away with you to cook at home and um, places to sit down and eat or have a coffee inside. And yeah. I think it's, that that's one of my favorite spots. Give the people watching, I imagine. Yes. Yeah. And there's a whole literary history in Florence that I think really gets overlooked, not just with um, Italian literature, but mm-hmm. with sort of um, well, the English in particular, mm. um, and yep. sort of the grand tourists and whatnot. Yes, and of so I think that's something that would be really fascinating um, to visit for anyone who's kind of um, bookish or inclined uh, in that sort of way is um, Casa Guidi. In um, it's only open on Mondays, but it's the former home of Elizabeth. Barrett Browning and Robert oh, Browning. They oh, lived yeah. in Florence for something like 15 years and are said to have had um, 
pretty much the most productive period of their respective lives here, despite the fact that Elizabeth Barrett Browning was um, uh, was bedridden for most of the time that she mm-hmm. was here. Okay. But she was completely smitten with the city, and their Cocker Spaniel Flush is also buried in that space. Oh, and flesh. just around yeah, and just around the corner from, and actually Virginia Woolf wrote a really wonderful little volume um like a half nonfiction, half imaginary um or fictionalized account of Flush's life in Florence. Like some of it is just about the dog um oh, and some of no it is no idea about this. Yeah, <laughs> it's really fascinating. That. It's really wonderful. And around the corner from Casa Guidi there's actually an apartment in Piazza Pitti where Dostoevsky, who hated Florence, who hated Florence, <laughs> wrote The Idiot. And I think it's so funny because he, you know, came to Florence, like, escaping debts and, um, you know, trying to uh, just escape, like, this miserable <laughs> life, but <laughs> found himself, like, more miserable in this city, living in this square also that's kind of, like, um, associated with, you know, grand wealth and the Medici and whatnot. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. That's really interesting. Those are great tips. I Sure. James and I are both quite bookish, so you're speaking our language. Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad. No, I really wanted to include that because no one no. mentions Casaguidi ever. I love that. And the that's a really good about shout, Flush yeah. the Dog, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, great. yeah, yeah. And the, uh, book, the book actually, too, is like goes into all the, like, the sense of Florence and how the dog, like, you know, how a dog would experience the wow. city. And if you come to Florence, it's really that you'll notice the pups everywhere. And yeah. um, so Flesh yeah. is part of like a big community. Dog culture. A big, a big, oh, that's so big cool. dog heritage. That's uh, yeah. tips. Yeah. Uh, I love that, it. That, that is really cool. And, and how about obviously um, Tuscany is one of the sort of most famed areas of Italy. I mean, kind of one of the most beautiful spots in the world mm. kind of uh, <laughs> places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what about like kind of in that area? Do you get out of the city much? Do, are you able to kind of explore Tuscany and, and where would you kind of recommend people to go? I occasionally get out of the city, but I, ha- I have to say that early in my time um, here, I spent a lot of time exploring um, uh just outside Florence in um, in the hills and in um, this sort of nebulously defined Chianti um, area mm-hmm. um, to do kind of wine tastings and things. But now I like to, when I, when I get out of, uh, when I go beyond Florence, I like to um, go beyond Tuscany a little bit. I've really been getting into the Liguria region of Italy recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say in Tuscany, one of my favorite spots that might be a little bit um, atypical mm. for um, for visitors um, is, uh, I mean, you have your obvious contenders like Siena and whatnot, these, these other gorgeous sort of art cities. Yeah. Um, but I would recommend checking out also um, Livorno, which is sort of a grittier port city um, with a really interesting history and vibe. Um, lots of delicious places to eat. They have a, a, a fish stew, a traditional dish there called cachuco that's really, that's really nice. And I'm a big, I, I, I kind of like let my mouth lead when I, when I yeah, travel. Yeah, I like yeah, to go yeah. to, I like to go to places with like food and drink in mind. <laughs> I mean, especially in Italy as well, you can't not do that, right? <laughs> that's, uh... Yeah. So Livorno doesn't have that maybe, um, surface level, uh, beauty that some of the other um, areas of Tuscany do, but I think it's got its own kind of grit and charm about it. Mm. Um, Pienza um, is incredible. Uh, If you're looking for kind of something to just, or, you know, to be sort of swept off your feet. Um, And it was sort of designed, or not sort of, it was designed to be the ideal Renaissance city. Okay. and um, I'm trying to think. There's there's really so many, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, mm. But those are just a couple of a couple of favorites. And, and just as we're talking about food, um, just oh, zoning yeah. zoning back in on Florence. Uh, if you eat one thing, if you had to <gasps> eat one thing in Florence for the rest of your life, what would it be? <gasps> oh my gosh, that's so hard. Yeah, that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> one thing. One thing. <laughs> All right, okay. you can have you can have two if you want. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to hold you to it. <laughs> okay, 
Well, if I'm totally honest with you, then there's mm, when I have people come visit in Florence or when I if my if my parents um, come to come to see me or um, when I have visitors from typically from the States, Mm. um, but occasionally it's friends I've made in Florence over the years that then uh, come back to the city. Um, I'll take them to uh, Alla Vecchia Bettola, this um, restaurant uh, in my neighborhood that, um, and I always get sort of the same, it's sort of my splurge meal for when when people come to town, or I wouldn't necessarily do it on my own, but I'll get like whatever kind of, vegetable is in season mm-hmm. and then I'll get um uh depending on you know what time of year it is of course and then I'll get their house pasta which is penne alla which is basically like this cream and pepperoncino so chili flake um nice. and um uh tomato-y pasta um and then uh split with these whoever's visiting better not be vegetarians because I'll get I'll have bistecca alla Fiorentina there. That's my favorite place to get Florentine steak. Um, and so uh, you know I don't want to say that every day for the rest of my life I would only eat those things because that would be kind of a heavy diet. But <laughs> but that's a special. Yes. What, what a way to live though. That yeah, those yeah, are totally. yeah. And every time I go there and I order that like getting the. Primo, the first course of the pasta, and then the second course being the steak. The waiters are always like, they kind of do a double take, and they're like, they're, it's going to be a lot of food. And I'm like, I've done it before. I know I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pro. Yeah. I've, I've got experience in this. I know. I know yeah. exactly. So while then we're talking about food, we're going to do a quick far round, Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start. James, you go next. So I'll yep. start. So your favorite mm-hmm. place in Florence to eat, go. Okay, um, three places, one place. I'll, I'll say Alantica Meshita in San Nicolo. Great traditional restaurant. Um, Alla Vecchia Bettola, I already said. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Trattoria Sabatino, those are three. Okay, <laughs> and are you are you largely eating pasta at those places? or Pasta or, um, as I said, Alla Vecchia Bettola, the steak, steak, is, yeah. steak is really nice. Um, and... Um, all of those, all of those places. I don't know. Every now and then in Florence, or every few years, always there's like, or really not every few years. Every few months, it seems like there's some kind of chic new hot spot opening mm-hmm. yeah. that often closes within you know a few months. And these old sort of um, yeah. old hat trattorie and osterie and um, kind of rough and tumble places, I think, are more are more fun. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah, 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 cool. lovely. Awesome. So I think this is a bit of a contentious question in uh, um, oh. in Florence because obviously room with a view, etc. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, your your favorite view of the city? Oh, favorite view. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, well, one view one view would be um, from the Rose Garden in mm. uh, the neighborhood of San Nicolo. So the Rose Garden is actually on the way up to Piazza di Michelangelo, which is the city's probably most famous overlook. But I think that um, if you stop at the Rose Garden, you can get just as satisfying um, a view with fewer crowds. Perfect. That's cool. a great tip. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. And then your favorite day activity in Florence. Favorite day activity. Oh, my. Um <laughs> I did. I also did make a list of things before this, but I'm just kind of blanking now. But one um, one thing, I mean, I just like to um, embrace the sort of uh, the Italian ritual of the passeggiata and go on uh, strolls through the city, um, kind of exploring the. There, I always find that there's something new um, to discover in the Oltrano neighborhood, in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I mentioned before, filled with kind of um, both traditional craft shops and kind of new generation spaces. Um, and, yeah, I love to um, go for a wander and go to the Sant'Ambrogio Market, for example, that's outside the Oltrano, but just strolling around the city, stopping and having coffees at little places. Perfect. And yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great day. That's, yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> 
if you're in Florence, why not? Um, yeah. uh, and finally, uh, your, your one thing you would like to drink. Ooh. So Florence is the birthplace of the Negroni, the okay. Negroni cocktail. Okay. Um, and I think that that's, if you're going to have a cocktail, that's what you need to have mm, in Florence. Although I like to drink a Negroni's Bagliato, which is made with, um, which literally translates as like a messed up or mistake Negroni, which, um, uh, and it's made with Prosecco instead of gin. Okay. And yeah. so, and so it's a little bit lighter and a little bit, um, a little bit kind of, um, bit fresher. Well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a little fizzy. bit more refreshing. And so a fun place to get that could be Procacci on Via Tornabuoni, which is known actually for serving, um, uh, truffle-based things, mm-hmm. but um, and not so known for its uh, cocktails, but I think it's a nice place to get to get a drink. Um, and because th- the space actually that was associated with um, with the birth of the Negroni, the Cafe Giacosa, has, um, has closed, unfortunately, okay. Okay. sadly. But I love going to little wine bars, like, and two of my favorites, where they have, like, a really curated list of wines from different producers in Tuscany and beyond Tuscany are Le Vope Luva, that is in the um, the Old Toronto neighborhood. I have a little, I'm a little bit biased, I guess. <laughs> um, and um, they serve, in addition to wonderful wines, uh, really, really delicious uh, crostoni, so like big, you know, toasts with nice, nice, nice. toppings and yeah. that, that are always expertly paired with whatever wines they're serving. And then um, Il Santino. And it's uh, in the Santo Spirito neighborhood, but that's still within the Ultrano. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so a nice drinking tour of the Ultrano then. Yeah, yeah. On the I can tell you a lot about where to eat and drink in Florence. It's kind of my kind of my favorite hobby. When you're like daytime activity, I'm like, oh, walking, but also but eating, <laughs> eating, drinking, walking. Yeah, it's Italy you know. days. That makes total sense. I'm always I'm with you, Mary. I'm with you. Exactly. Whether you want to sample delicious Tuscan food and wine, gaze at the iconic Leaning Tower of Pisa or browse eclectic markets in Florence, Duke Air Witness Florence and Tuscany make sure you experience all that this region has to offer. Our recently updated guide brings the region to life, transporting you there like no other travel guide does, with expert-led insights and advice and detailed breakdowns of all the must-see sites. Find it via the link in our bio or wherever you buy your book. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So now we're going to discuss the kind of uh, recent present and and the future of, of Florence. Um, so, Mary, um, just quickly, kind of, uh, what have the past sort of year and a half or so been like in Florence? Is it have visitors kind of started to return recently? Visitors have absolutely been trickling in, um, or I would say they started trickling in maybe last. Um, last summer mm-hmm. um but and now in you know with autumn right now um obviously november is generally a less touristy time of year yeah. um but at the same but you're seeing a huge increase in town of international students for example okay oh, yeah. because yeah. a lot of these programs i mean florence is a huge huge study destination sure. yeah. um yeah. i mean with us programs alone there's something like at least 40 um, and mm-hmm. that doesn't even uh, account for um, sort of uh, for for different um, more international or global programs, um, and um, so you're seeing a lot more 
a lot more students back in town. That's noticeable. Um, visitors, yeah, the energy, the kind of international energy is back in the city, um, for better or worse. Right. For I will say in March uh, 2020, from March 2020 forward, um, or really February 2020, um, mm-hmm. f- until kind of the end of 2020, it was very, uh, very empty. Mm-hmm. or And, and um, very... Like when we would leave our homes during the actual lockdown, the height of the really the really intense lockdown that we went through from March to early, gosh, was it early June mm-hmm. of 2020? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. at this point mm-hmm. um, that it was it, it was jarring to see how empty yeah. the streets were, and um, so it's kind of like one of these things too where it's like careful what you wish for a little bit because we were all ready to um i think that people were a bit fed up with mass tourism sure. prior to covid and then suddenly when it was all stripped away sure it was like oh we need you know florence needs this momentum to kind of yeah. um maybe not at the mass tourist levels that it was at before which i think yeah. is unsustainable but it does need um visitors to to keep a lot of its businesses going yeah it's Um, it's a bit of a debate that comes up time and time again on the pod really in terms of you know uh over tourism is 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 a problem kind of around the world but at the same time you know to keep those kind of local economies running it you know there's a there's a level of people and a level of tourism and kind of getting Mm -hmm. it right in the future is maybe one of the lessons of the pandemic i think yeah yeah that's something that i hope to see in florence moving forward is um not a rejection of the fact that this is always going to be a tourist city. I think we should embrace that, and yeah. and to some extent, that this is all. This is a place that's beloved by many people around mm-hmm. the world, and I think that um, for good reason. Um, but looking at how um, how we can embrace those people on a more um, sustainable level, and in a way that respects. Uh, and prioritizes residents because at the end of the day, mm. that's what people people are coming here for the things that make Florence unique. You know, sure. they're not coming for to to go to this um, generic, no. you know, street with all the chain high no. street stores that you can find anywhere else um, in the world. So yeah, I'm hoping to see uh, see some change with that moving on from the pandemic. And so with those people who are coming, and as you're saying, hopefully then shopping at those artisan makers, etc. Mm-hmm. Local producers, exactly. Local yeah. producers, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, is there yeah. a particular time of year that would is a is a great time for them to visit? Mm, I actually think, well, if you can brave a bit of rain, I actually think that this time right now, November, is really nice because I feel like October still has that uh, very kind of... Um, uh, romantic appeal of like all the all the colors and all the and all the autumnal things um, and all the autumnal foods and you have a lot of that still in November yeah. but um, it just gets darker earlier and it can be a it can feel a little bit gloomy mm. but that means that the city's a lot less crowded sure. and you're going to have um, and also um, if you come maybe on the later side of November or do it sort of early into December. December 8th is when um, the holiday lights well, get, get say, lit. That yeah. must be magical. It's of, a beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful I'm, time to be here for sure. Yeah, good tip, good, good tip. Uh, I'm yeah. guessing as well it's much easier to get bookings at restaurants and things yeah. like that as well around this time of year versus... Yeah, it definitely is. And um, again, I think that there's there's not really a bad time to visit maybe august <laughs> august just because of all the closures um sure. but you know there's not there's not really a bad time to visit but i tend to think that actually you know november is really nice or even um gosh if you wanted to go for example to the uffizi on january 7th the day after la befana epiphany which is kind of like the end of the Christmas season officially, yeah, yeah, yeah. then you're going to have the Uffizi almost to yourself. Or that yeah. that was like how it um, how it was in the past kind of uh, January, that, that second week of January mm. um, is a really when the city kind of empties out for a bit. And um, if, but I don't know, you might like to be here in spring when it's full of energy and full of um, a bit of chaos. I mean, I've come to appreciate and embrace each kind of, season yes. of the city yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 
Cool. That's, that, that, that's some great insight there. And I think um, really interesting. I'd never thought of Florence as kind of a January destination, really. Um, but yeah, that sounds amazing to kind of have it, mm-hmm. on, not to yourself, but <laughs> that little bit emptier and kind of uh, and easier to kind of move around as well. Um, and are there kind of any big events or seasonal kind of festivities um, coming up in 2022? Is there stuff that's been cancelled during the pandemic, which is making a comeback, et cetera? Um, I'm trying to think. There's always the... Um, so Estate Fiorentina is interesting. It's sort of this big umbrella festival. Um, it, it translates as Florentine summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it, it's kind of funny because Florentine summer in the festival's terms will extend from like May to October, <laughs> typically. <laughs> um, and um, it's sort of just an amalgamation of different cultural and artistic events. The Florence Dance Festival used to be mm-hmm. um, part of it. I think it still is. Um, and after having sort of quieter uh, and a lot of heavy online um, additions, uh, in, you know, for the past two years pretty much now, past two summers, I think that it'll probably be back in um, – in fuller force um, this year. And then there's also the Scopio del Carro or the explosion of the cart, which is an interesting mm-hmm. and very quirky and very Florentine uh, thing to see on Easter weekend um, here in town. Um, the explosion and, of the cart. What's that? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a, I don't, <laughs> I imagine there's a great backstory here. There yeah. must yes, be a good backstory. And I'm embarrassed that I don't know more of the, <laughs> more of the specific, um, that I can't recall all of the specific historical, um, details and relevance of it. But, um, on, so around, uh, 10 a.m. ish, I believe, on, um, Easter Sunday, um, a cart um, carried by several oxen um, comes into Piazza Duomo um, and uh, basically a Colombo, a, a, a dove, uh, so it's a mechanical dove nowadays, but is shot out from um, the Duomo at the end of the Easter Mass. Okay. And then it comes onto the cart and lights uh lights the pyrotechnic or sets off this pyrotechnic display. I see. Um, and there's like a elaborate fireworks show right there in the piazza for, oh, wow. Um, wow. for you know, probably 20, 30 minutes. Was it, what was it? The explosion of the cart? Explosion of the cart. cart yes. Yeah, that makes total, the total sense. It does yeah. sound like an explosion of a cart. I'm, <laughs> yes. quite, I'm quite fascinated about the mechanical dove. The mechanical <laughs> dove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never really, yeah, no. And I, I'm always like, how do they, how do they pull that off? I don't really understand <laughs> it. Little remote controlled dove coming. Yeah. yeah that's a uh that's a that's a that's a brilliant tip well um thank you very much mary for taking us through a kind of whistle stop tour of um of florence you uh, there's so many recommendations there yeah. i think uh listeners if you want to go back with your notepads i think there's many many uh specific places you need to write down for your next visit um but it's been brilliant kind of speaking to you about yes. uh, about the city and finding out a bit more about it you speak about it so well um and my stomach is rumbling seriously yes <laughs> Thank I'm, I'm you hungry so and thirsty for those Negroni. It's only quarter past eleven. And, I know, uh, yeah, marvelous. I'm, I'm <laughs> very keen. <laughs> um, but yes, thank, uh, you, thank so you so much. much. Um, it's been it's been brilliant. And uh, listeners, if you want to kind of track down some of Mary's work, uh, you can do. Um, uh, Mary's blog is verymarygray.com. That's right, isn't it, Mary? Yes, it's not exactly a blog. That's just sort of my yeah portfolio website. But verymarygray.com, you'll see, you'll find a collection of work for different outlets. And, and uh, listeners can follow you at very, very Mary Gray too, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. me. Very happy I got that right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, but thank you so much, Mary. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Absolutely been my pleasure and hope that you all can make it to Florence one day. So once again, a huge thank you to Mary. Yes, thank you, Mary. That was lovely. What a tour. What a, what a journey around Florence we've had today. Yeah. Um, yeah, she brought it to life, didn't she? Yep. And then uh, Lucy didn't mention this on mic, but she told me immediately off mic that she is planning a trip to Florence <laughs> in February. So listening. I'm working on it. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm 
yeah, gen- genuinely. I was really suspicious that it wasn't like being added to your list. You didn't mention it, and it's already on there. It's it's clearly like uh, you know. Well, so. oh, they don't want to hear it again. But this time I'm like, no, no, genuinely, guys. I this morning I was looking at flights. So there we go. Uh, watch the space to hear about uh, you know all the messy Negronis that Lucy, exactly, Lucy drinks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, listener, you can join us in our next episode where we'll be in Amsterdam. Uh, oh, so looking forward to that. Very very different city um uh yeah it'll be a fantastic one really interesting to kind of find out i think there's i think there's a lot of like kind of amsterdam that isn't talked about as well there's a you know there's quite famous uh or infamous like kind of aspects of amsterdam but and we do remember have uh, like a local amsterdam coming out in january we do we do as well so yeah i mean i think um it'll be great as a kind of primer to to get yes. to know the city before that uh, so you can join us uh, for that in a fortnight listener um, uh, but until then it's, uh, it's bye from me and bye from me and see you very soon Where To Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker it was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards and mastered by Johnny Coddington at Bottle Rocket Recording for more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And don't forget to please like, rate, review and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. Your support means so much to us. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.